excited. Uh, Saturated starts this Wednesday night. I hope you'll be here for that and, and every night. Um, <clears throat> it, it kicks off with Pastor Stovall Weems and the Celebration Band from Celebration Church. And uh, Pastor Stovall has probably led more people to Christ in Jacksonville over the last 17 years than any other individual. And so I'm excited about him being here. And um, Celebration has been like a big brother to us to help us get our little Walmart thing going, which is great. He typically preaches from the arena, but next Wednesday he'll be preaching from ladies' accessories. So I'm pretty stoked about that. <clears throat> on Thursday night, uh, a friend of mine, Dr. Eric Mason, out of Epiphany Fellowship Church will be here. You don't know him yet except her, but you will, and he's incredible. And I really hope um, the Jags beat down the Eagles today so we can just rub that in. Amen. <clears throat> and then on Friday night, Ryan Kwan, Pastor Ryan Kwan, I feel like he's our very own part of our family. We wrote him all the notes. You know, he passes a church out on the left coast. And... Um, and it's, you know, the church is going awesome, but there's been some crazy stuff that happens. Here's what I want you to do on Friday night when you're here and I introduce Pastor Ryan Kwan. I want you to stand up, do a standing ovation, like for so long that it makes him cry. So if he cries, you win. That's what we're going for. Okay. <clears throat> and then, um, and then Phil Wickham on Saturday night. So be here for that. And then me on Sunday morning. The only reason I get to do it is because I work here at the church. So <clears throat> you, it's just going to be huge. Also, if you weren't here last week, and I know it was Labor Day or yeah, Labor Day weekend, so uh, some of you missed. You've got to go um, download the app and listen to Pastor Ryan Stone talk about giving is a gospel issue. That generosity is a gospel issue. It may be the best sermon I've ever heard on generosity, including the ones I've heard come out of my own mouth. Okay, so please go back and listen to that. For the next twelve weeks or so, we are going to be in the Book of Genesis. And, um, and, I, and we're just going to walk through it. Uh, it's only going to take 12 weeks. But we're, gonna, we're just going to talk about how this book has one story from the very beginning to the very end. The whole thing is about God's redemption of people that he loved for his own glory. And so if you've got your Bible, let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And it maybe it'll make you feel really spiritual because you'll be able to find it. So open the Bible to the very beginning. And in the beginning, there's Genesis, okay? <clears throat> and we have a lot to cover this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're going to try to get through, or we are going to get through chapters 1 and 2, and in theory, this should be a very happy message, because there's something that's not in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Anybody want to take a guess what it is? Sin. There's no sin in Genesis 1 and 2. So if you want to come back next week and hear what a wretched black-hearted sinner you are, I'd invite you to not only come, but bring your mother-in-law. But today, <clears throat> everything's perfect. So... Here we go in chapter 1, verse 1. It starts out this way. Some of the most important words in all of the Bible. In the beginning, God. So, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about how God created you, but why God created you and why God created me. And we're going to answer this question that at some level, everybody that's ever had a, a, a thought has thought, why on earth am I here? Why did God make me? Well, it says right here, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <clears throat> There's a lot here. First of all, that there was a beginning. That even, even scientists tell us now that there was, a, there was this, this um, immediate beginning to what we know as time and space and matter and light and all of those kind of things. And that word beginning, um, it really is kind of a play on words. There's two translations of it. I can't tell you what the Hebrew word is. Because um, I can't say it. I mean, I know how to pronounce it, so I'll spell it. It's R-E apostrophe S-H-I-T. That's the Hebrew word. R-E apostrophe S-H-I-T. And, and I don't want to have to fire myself today after the service, so I'm not going to say it. 
you say it if you want to, okay? So it means in the beginning, or it also means firstborn, or it might be Hebrew for Daniel fast. I'm not sure, but I think probably. All right, so in the beginning could also be translated, a lot of Jewish texts translate this way, in the beginning through the firstborn, God created the heavens and the earth. That God was not created. That God is the great uncaused cause. That he started everything here. And this is very, very important. I just need you to hear this, that you were not an accident. That God created you. You didn't just accidentally exist somehow. That when you go out of this place and you go home and you turn on the TV and root the Jags on to dominate the Eagles, when you do that or when you have a conversation today or when you look about, look around all of this creation and it looks like it was designed on purpose, it's because it was designed on purpose. And that's because <clears throat> in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the earth. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There's the Holy Spirit of God showing up very early in creation. Hovering over things when the earth was was formless and void. And you know what the Spirit of God is doing there? The Spirit of God is doing the same thing there that He does in our life. That He is causing life to exist where there is no life. And then in verse 3 it says, And God said. Now, let me just show you from the very beginning that, that the triune God... God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is in existence, in creation from the very beginning. And I know it's very complicated and I know it's very hard to understand, but we serve one God in three persons. There is only one God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And you're going to see the the perfect triune God here from the very beginning in creation. And if you think it's a little hard to understand and hard to explain, you're exactly right. Because it'd be very, very, very difficult to explain the unexplainable God. But you see right here that God the Father speaks creation into existence. That God the Son is actually the active agent in creation. We find that in 1 John chapter 1, in Colossians chapter 1, all throughout the Bible there. <clears throat> and the very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is there causing things to come to life where there is no life. And so, if you go from verse 3 to about verse 25 of chapter 1, you get to see um, this, this kind of rhythmic creation that God speaks and something happens and He says it's very good. And then God speaks and then something happens and then it's very good. And, and, and there's this rhythm to the creative order of things. And that's just how God put it together. I'll run through it really, really quick for the sake of time. But if you, if you start in verse 3, it says that God said, let there be light. And there was light and it was very good in verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And that happened and that was good. In verse 9, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And, and that happened, and it was good. In verse 11, and let the earth sprout vegetation, and then plants started growing up, and that was good. In verse 14, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens, so he makes the sun and the moon and the stars, and that was good. In verse 20, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and so he makes birds and, and fish, and that was good. <clears throat> and in verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth, includes the white-tailed deer, 
which season opened Saturday, praise God. Do you know I have an opportunity to maybe take a deer and sing a Phil Wickham song all in one day? Does it get any better than that? I feel like I'm in Eden itself. All right, here we go. <clears throat> and so God makes all those things. So if you, if you just read through that, and if you can kind of back up and just read it all in order there, <clears throat> you'll see that, that God, God has a rhythm to the creation. That he speaks and something happens and he says, that's good. And in the first three days of creation, he creates these different spaces. And then in the last three days of creation, he fills those spaces that he's just created. I'll explain it. On day one, he creates the light and darkness. He separates those two things. And on day four, he creates the sun and the moon and the stars to fill those spaces. And on day two, he separates the sky and and the... Waters And on day five, he creates the fish and the birds to fill, fill those spaces. And in day three, he makes the dry land. And then on day six, he fills those spaces uh, with the animals that he creates. And so even if you were just to go out here today and you'd go out to the beach, you would just see the very rhythm in how God created all things that are created. It's why waves come in waves. It's why you and I live in seasons. And as one season ends, it 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 continues into the next season. It's a part of the very nature of who God is. The sun rises and the sun sets, and then it repeats itself, and that we were created in this kind of rhythm. In fact, if you'd get quiet enough and you would listen or put your hand on your chest, you could feel the very rhythm of your heartbeat. And it's a part of how God is the fingerprints of God in his creation. Which is why one reason I believe that, that music is so powerful and maybe it's why God desires that we sing to him with music. There's something about when God's people get together in rhythm and we're all in the same rhythm singing his praises. It's just a reflection of the very heartbeat of God. And so God creates all things that are <clears throat> in rhythm. But even though everything's here, I mean the Milky Way is there and the and the, the stars and the moon and the sun and the oceans and the Grand Canyon and the mountains and all of these things are here and they are good. Apparently God thinks it's not enough because in verse 26 he keeps going. It says, and then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Well, who is God talking to? Well, he's talking about himself. There's one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so God is saying, let us Make mankind in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God is going to make mankind unique compared to all the rest of creation. There's only, there's only one thing created that has the ability to reflect or be an image bearer of God and that's mankind. And listen, so that just means it's different. That means that you're not just a, um, um, an evolved ape. You're different than your dog. You're different than your cat. Like, you have the ability to know God. I hate to break it to you. Your dog just doesn't have that ability. And I know every, I get so much pushback. It's amazing what I can tell you about you and you just take it. Man, I cuss your dog and the email says, my dog loves me. No, your dog loves peanut butter and you had the peanut butter. I hate to break it to you. I know, hug and kiss your dog, whatever. Believe the lie, I don't care. But, but you're different than your dog. <clears throat> your dog is not created in the image of God. Your dog doesn't reflect the nature and the character of God. You're just different. Now, I've heard people say that the reason that God created people was for fellowship. And it's just not true. That's not, that's not it. 
Because Genesis 1-1 does not read, in the beginning there was God, and God was lonely. And God needed some people to hang out with. And God really liked the acoustic guitar and songs to be sung to him. Therefore, God fashioned man. No, that's not how it goes. That God, in and of himself, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, was in perfect relationship with himself. And so out of God's love for God's self, and out of an overflow of the power of God, that power begins to spill out into the canvas of creation. And you get verses in like 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that says that God is love, because God, in and of himself, is a perfect, loving mutually submitted relationship to God. And then that, the overflow of that spills out into people like me and you that were created in that kind of image. And so God decides to make mankind in his image. And then you get to verse 27. <clears throat> so, so God created man in his own image. Some of you, you just need to be reminded of this. Listen to me, you were not an accident. You were not an accident. And I know some of you go, no, 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 but my parents said that, that I was an accident. No, they're wrong. They're wrong. There, there may be accidental parents. There are no accidental children. That you were created in the image of God. You were not an accident from your parents. You were not a, you're not also a, a cosmic accident. That you are an image bearer, a reflection of who God is. And that's how and, and a big part of why he created you. That God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You know what that means? That a big reason God made men and women different, and here's just a newsflash to this generation, men and women are different. Now, I know we live in a society that tries to make us the same. Now, we have equal value. We, We have equal ability to reflect and be image bearers of God. But God made men a certain way to reflect certain characteristics of God. And then he's going to say, that's not enough, that males don't fully reflect who God is. And so he's going to make females to reflect other parts of who God is. And so that we're just different. And so generally speaking, you know, um, men are, are tough and men are warriors and men are providers and protectors. And women are beautiful and women are intricate and women are very complicated and women are captivating And I know some people will say, yeah, but that's a generality. Okay, newsflash, generalities are generally true. That's how they became generalities. Like white people actually can't dance. Argue all you want. I know you get like Justin Timberlake or an outlier every once in a while, but generally speaking, it's just not that good, okay? That's how these things come into existence. And so God made a man to be a man to reflect like that warrior spirit of who God is. And God made women to be women to reflect just that that nature and beauty and captivating part of who God is. So at the Church of 1122, here's what we believe and teach deeply, that we are equal under God, yes and amen, with very different roles. And that means that this will always be a church where we call men to stand up and act like men. Not, not like a lot of churches really ask men to be like chicks, and that's not what we're going to do. That men are supposed to stand up, act like men, be godly men, godly dads, godly husbands, providers, and protectors. And this will be a place where women, 
all women, like our little girls over in, in our kids' ministry, all the way up to our senior, senior adult women, and that's married women and widowed women and single mom women and every single woman that bears the image of God that comes in this place. This should be a place where they are honored, honored and cherished and respected, and that's just how we do it. And when I, I've had some people push back and say, isn't that a little bit old school? I go, yeah, it's real old school. It's all the way back to the very beginning. That's how old school we are. Amen, Church of 1122? That's how we do. <clears throat> so he makes men and women just makes them different. Verse 28. It says, and God blessed them. Now listen to this. God's about to give us the first rule of creation. Here it goes. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and make the earth and fill the earth and subdue it. How good is our God? You think God's into rules? God's into love. Look what he says here. Be fruitful and multiply. Adam and Eve are like, what do we do now? Here's what you do. Be fruitful and multiply. Praise God. Can I get a very deep amen? Hear all that? Praise. See? Some of you guys, first time you've been in this church, you're like, baby, I like it here. I think we'll be back. Okay? So he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So that we're not to worship this creation, but we are supposed to take care of it. Verse 29, and God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens... And to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was the evening, and there was morning, and the sixth day. And this is how Adam and Eve were created to live. That everything was perfect. That God had given them all of creation to be like a playground for them. To just swim and play and laugh and subdue and cultivate I mean, how good is our God? That's how he created us and created this place for us to, to bear his image and reflect who God is in this creation. And there's a few ways that we reflect him. One is that we reflect the image of God, the nature of God, by, by being creators ourselves. That he asks us to join in on creation because he says, be fruitful and multiply. That out of an overflow of God's love for God's self, he made us. And then like when Adam and Eve come together in marriage, out of an overflow from, for one another, they are to be fruitful and multiply. I mean, yesterday we just spent the afternoon uh, sitting on the couch watching football, kind of one of our high holy moments in my house, favorite things to do. And then out of nowhere, here come our two little kids that we love and adore and maybe are too proud of. And they come <laughs> and just jump on the couch with us. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, my love for my wife grew exponentially when my kids came on the scene. And one of the things that I'm just overwhelmed with, I've told you this before, we've been married for 14 years, but, but I, that I'd never get tired of it. When my two children jump on the couch with me and Gretchen, I just, I look at them and I look at her and I can't get this thought out of my mind that I loved you so much that we made more people. That's how strong our love is, that it overflowed into two more very adorable, blonde-headed people that we love so much. That you and I get to reflect the image of God by joining with Him in creation and also in cultivation. 
that God didn't just make something and just kind of leave it alone, but he created Adam to subdue it and to cultivate it, to make it better. Did you know that every time you make something better, you are reflecting the very image of God? That when you make your family better, when you make your school better, when you make your neighborhood better, when we make our city better, when we try to make this world better, anytime we take the raw goods that God has given us and we rearrange them for the sake of human flourishing, that, that's a part of what it means to be an image bearer of God. The reason that you want to do that is because you were created in the image of God and, and he was pleased for us to reflect him in covenant relationship that we were wired for relationships. And that doesn't just mean a relationship with us and God, but that spills over into a relationship with each other. That a big part of being an image bearer of God means that we join Him in creation and cultivation and in covenant relationship. Chapter 2, verse 1. And thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. Verse 3, so God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Holy just means set apart. That's all it means. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God creates in a rhythm. And for six days, he creates in this rhythm. And then on the seventh day, God decides to rest. Not because he was tired, because God doesn't get tired. But to set an example for me and for you to say, hey, you get tired and I get tired. And we are supposed to work and get it all done in six days. And then on the seventh day, just rest. So to the busiest generation probably in the history of humanity, do you have one day a week that's just holy? That you reconnect with God? That you refuel? And that you rest because you need it? That's how God designed you. And it takes a lot of faith and it takes a lot of trust in God to take care of that seventh day. To say, okay, God, I'm going to work as hard as I can for these six But then I'm going to reconnect with you, I'm going to refuel, and I'm going to rest. Because I trust you to fill in the gaps. And so if you're not resting, guess what? Then you are not bearing the image that God has created you to bear. One time I was at a a conference and a buddy of mine was leading it. And he was talking to pastors about having an actual Sabbath. And that Sunday can't be your Sabbath because we do this and we can't, you know, it's not a rest day. It's a work day for us. So another day of the week, we've got to be off. And so a guy in the back, older guy, raises his hand and says, well, I don't take a day off because the devil doesn't take a day off. And without missing a beat, the guy up front said, well, the devil's not my role model, right? And in fact, if he would take a day off, maybe he wouldn't be the devil. And so if you're not resting, then you're not being who God has created you to be. And so God rests. Now, what you get from chapter 1, verse 1, <clears throat> through chapter 2, verse 3, is you get this creation count um, that's very systematic. It's very like sovereign God, that God just speaks and stuff happens and he says it's good. And he speaks and stuff happens and he says it's good. And it's almost distant. But um, all throughout the scriptures, one of the things, one of the themes that goes all throughout it is God doesn't just want to be known as almighty, sovereign God. He is almighty. He is sovereign. He is God. That's true, but that's not the totality of who he is. So you've, you've really got two creation accounts in chapter one and two. And the first one is really about his omnipotence and his omnipresence and his omniscience and his creation. But then what's going to happen in verse four is it's going to shift gears. And in the second creation account, that just describes exactly what just happened in chapter 1. It just describes it from a more personal and intimate angle. You get to see what kind of personal, intimate God we have. 
So we'll pick it up in verse four. It says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Verse five, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Verse seven, check this out. Then the Lord God, he formed the man from the dust of the ground And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. That word for breath is ruach. Say ruach. All right, you got to put a little, yeah, you did good. Got to do a little more at the end. Okay, ready? Ruach. There you go. You got it. All right. So that word, that word ruach can be translated breath or spirit. It's the same word. And so back in chapter one, when it says the spirit of God hovered over, it's, it's the ruah of God hovered over. That, that, that it's the spirit and the breath of God, it's the same thing. And so check this out. This is, when I read through this, this is the way my mind sees it happening, okay? That God creates everything, speaks everything into existence. And then when he gets to make his prized creation, which was man and woman, that he, it's almost like he, he doesn't do it from the throne room of God, just speaking things into creation. But he steps into his creation, and it says he gathers together the dust of the earth. And I don't know, in, in, some, in his sovereignty, he puts it together. And what he has <clears throat> is he's got like a shell of a man. He's not yet a living creature, but he looks like a human being. I mean, he's got head and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. He's got all the parts, and there he is but he's still missing something. And then the Bible says that God breathed the ruah of life into his nostrils. Now, I think it's so specific to talk about his nostrils so that we know this is not something that like he put together from the throne room of heaven and just and blew towards him. But God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, gets down face to face with the very first creature that was ever gonna bear his image. And he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And then he becomes a living creature. Before that, he's just like a shell of something. I don't know what exactly it is, but but he's not like like a spiritual being with the spirit of God or the breath of life living in him. And in that moment, for the very first time in all of human history, the very first image bearer of God wakes up for the first day of his life. And imagine what he wakes up to. He wakes up to the reality that he is face to face with the almighty God, his creator. He is eyeball to eyeball. He is nostril to nostril. He is mouth to mouth with with almighty sovereign God face to face with his heavenly father. And listen, and that's what makes it paradise. I mean, it's great that there was no sickness and there was no mosquitoes or whatever, you know, and that everybody frolicked around naked. That's really neat. But what actually made it paradise is that he's face-to-face and in an unhindered relationship with his creator. And every single one of us in this room and in the sanctuary and listening online and every single person that you've come eyeball to eyeball with has this deep longing and desire deep down in your soul and the places that make you uncomfortable to talk about. And every single one of us want to get back to that single moment of reality. We want to be face to face with our almighty creator, not just sovereign God, but eyeball to eyeball with our heavenly father. And guess what? That's why we worship. 
So while we worship, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And I've just got to admit to you that I'm addicted to worship. I just am. I'm addicted to worship. You know why? Because God's manifest presence shows up in a different way when God's people get together and all sing the same thing about the truth of God. And if you're, if you're a Christian, if you love Jesus and you take worship very, very seriously, and then you've experienced it before, hadn't you? Hadn't you been to those places where, you know, it's like your favorite song and you know all the words, so you're, you don't have to open them, your eyes are closed, and you're singing and you're going for it, and you can't even believe because you grew up Baptist, so you weren't allowed to do this, but now you're doing this, and you just feel like if I open my eyes quick, I think I'll be right where Adam was, and I think I might see God face to face. That's why we take worship so seriously here. It's also why we serve. That's why I was in Africa last week. Africa doesn't need me. It'll be fine without me. But I need to meet Jesus face to face. And under the authority of the word of God in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said, whatever you've done for the least of these brothers of mine, you've done to me. And he talks about taking care of the poor and the oppressed. And so I believe last week when I was serving these little orphan children in the Okoa Refuge, that I was face to face with God. Those of you that have been on a mission trip, you felt it before, hadn't you? And what was beginning to happen is you were getting back to that moment, that place that you were actually created for. It's why we do Bible study. It's why we get together in circles, in disciple groups, so we're connected to one another, and that we're actually listening to the very words of God. It's not so you can know more stuff about the Old and New Testament. But Jesus said, if you abide in his word, you abide in him. That word abide just means to stay close. The reason we make such a big deal about it is because there's something in you that wants to get back to that face-to-face moment with God. But there's another reality for some of you. for a lot of you, if you're honest, is that some of you are just a shell of a human being. And some of you think, oh, that's very mean to say. It it is mean, unless it's true. And if it's it's true, then it's the most loving thing I could say if it's actually diagnosing the, the reality that you live in. Some of you are like Adam before he was filled with the Ruah, or the Spirit of God. And, and you look like a human, And you do things that humans do, but there's just something missing. Let me tell you what's missing. What's missing is that you were created for that moment. All the way back here when, for the very first time, God formed a man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the ruach of life. And then the man became a living creature. Verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then verses 10 through 14, they have all these rivers that I can't pronounce, so we'll skip to 15. You can't either. Okay, so verse 15. And so the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So listen up, men. Pay attention. Did you you see here that Adam, the very first man, that he was not created in the garden. God actually formed him out in the wilderness and then put him in the garden. That explains a lot about, about the image of God in you. You know the reason when you were a little boy and, and people would give you two things and so you would just want to crash them into each other? 
Like, if, if I give JP, my son, if I just give him any two objects, he puts them at war with one another. If I give Reagan, my, my daughter, any two objects, they're friends. That's just how we are, okay? We're just created differently in the image of God. Both image bearers of God. <clears throat> and so I would encourage, there's a, there's a very powerful book. It was powerful in my life called Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. I'd encourage all of you to read it. If you're a man, you should read it. If you're a boy that one day wants to be a man, you should read it. If you've given birth to a boy that will turn into a man, you should read it. If you're married to a man, you should read it. Now, if I ever get to be friends with John Eldridge, I'll tighten up his doctrine of the sovereignty of God. It gets a little bit loose there, but the overall premise of the book is that guys were created wild at heart is rooted right out of here, that God made the man out in the wilderness and then placed him into the garden to do something, to work it and to keep it. So Adam, before sin ever enters the world, God gives the man work to enjoy. That work is not a bad thing. That we we were created to work. And so I know that we have a generation now that likes to run from work. Let me tell you, my daddy told me this a long time ago. He said, boy, you don't get up and go to fun. You get up and go to work. And that's how God created us. I'm not saying you can't enjoy it. I enjoy my work very much, but I work very, very hard. And so in God's design, he designed us to subdue and to cultivate. And it's why, by the way, it's why some of you old guys are bored to death. It really is. You worked hard for many decades and then you retired early, praise God. And now you're just twiddling your thumbs and playing golf. And it's just not as satisfying as you thought. Let me just tell you, do not waste your life on some pursuit like that. Now, I'm not saying don't play golf. Play golf. Play a lot of golf. Be great. Take me as long as you pay. I'll play with you. It's a lot of fun, all right? I'll eat your $11 cheeseburger at the clubhouse. I mean, it's great. No problem. But if you think one day when you're done here, you're going to take your scorecard and your handicap to God and be like, look how good I putt. How important would that be? It doesn't matter. So we got a bunch of men and women here that work hard and make bank and retire early and then leverage all of that to keep working, but not to sell underwear and t-shirts anymore, but to build the very kingdom of God. And they leverage it all here. That's how God created you and designed you and wired you. So God makes this man with work to enjoy. So we should work and we should work hard. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God gives a man work to enjoy and a will to obey. I've had some people ask why in the world would God even put this potential for sin in the Garden of Eden if it was perfect? Well, first and foremost, from the very beginning, we see here that obedience to God matters. That when we do what God says, it pleases him. And now, God's not really big on rules. He's only got, he's got two rules. One he is, is be fruitful and multiply. Praise God. He's only got one thou shalt not. He said, you can play in the whole world. Just leave this one thing alone. And here's something else too. Is that God didn't want to make puppets. He wanted to make people. And, and so if he did not give us the ability to choose good or evil, then we are not actually image bearers of God that we have the ability to know him and to be known by him. And so I would say it this way. Every single person that has ever decided to try to have children or to adopt children, you understand that, that, that what you are stepping into is the potential of great pain, haven't you? I mean, there is no pain like kid pain. 
You ask anybody that's got a prodigal child what that feels like. You ask any person that's lost a child what that feels like. You ask any person, any parent, that's, that, and their children are sick. I mean, that's a pain like you cannot describe. And every single one of us, we knew, we knew what we were getting into. Not fully, or none of us would have ever made a kid. But, but <clears throat> we, we knew <clears throat> that that potential was out there. And yet, you know what we thought as parents? It's worth the risk. That love is worth the risk. And because God is love, and God knew without a doubt, not only did he know what might happen, he knew what would happen. And yet he decided, because God is love, and he created out of an overflow of God's love for God's self, that love was that big of a deal, that love was worth the pain, and love was worth the risk. And so he makes Adam, and, and, he, and he's given him this, this playground of the earth to play on. And he says, just one thing, just stay away from that tree. Verse 18, <clears throat> and then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. And every woman in here said, amen, right? We'll burn the place down. But that's, that's not all he's talking about. God says, it's not good that man should be alone. So there's a couple of things. One is that men by themselves do not fully represent or reflect who God is. And so God's going to create females. Um, it, it also lets us know, this isn't just like a dating verse, um, it also lets us know that we are wired for relationships. That we are wired for relationships. That when God put you on this planet, He put you on this planet with the truth that it's not good for you to live life alone. It's not good for you to try to do life alone. It's not good for you to try to be a Christian alone. That concept is nowhere in the Scriptures. And one of the reasons every single week at the end of the service we try to get you connected is because we want you to bear the very image of God even in this place. And that you could get connected in a disciple group or you could get connected on a serve staff or you could get connected by going on a short-term mission trip. Whatever it is, if you are not connected in a significant way with some family members in your church family, then I would say that what you are doing is not good because it is not good that man should be alone. And so God keeps going and he says, so I will, make a, I will make him a helper fit for him. And so in verse 19, it says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. There's a couple of things here that are really important. One, all you single guys that want to get married, listen to me quick. That Adam got his house in order before God would give him a woman. Right? You need to write that down. I need to see a lot of, you know, or whatever. Text yourself. Whatever you got to do. That, that Adam got his house in order before God would let him uh, have, have a woman. And, and I've, I've talked to a bunch of, you know, 20-something-year-olds, and, and your house just ain't in order. And, and you're praying. God, send me a woman. I'm telling you, God will not answer that prayer. In fact, I do like a prayer smackdown every time I'm around you praying that. When you pray that, dear God, I'll okay, no, you don't, God. And I smack it right back to the ground. Okay, reject it. Why? Because you're not ready to protect and provide. He got his house in order, and then God gave him a woman. And some of you are praying, dear God, give me a woman. What would you do if he got, gave you a woman? You got, she ain't going to live in your mom's spare bedroom, okay, and join you in World of Warcraft. That's just not how it's going to go, you got to provide and protect. And then some of the guys that want to bow up, well, I know what I would do. All right, when that four minutes is up, there's like this whole life of subdue and cultivate and provide and protect. Secondly, 
is that, now again, God says to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. Adam says, amen. And, and, so, and so God brings Adam to this place of frustration, right? All the animals come and Adam is naming all the animals, looking for a helper suitable for him. And so, you know, at first he's full of hope and, and creativity and he probably named animals like rhinoceros and hippopotamus and giraffe and elephant first. But then by the end of this process, he's like rat, cat, bat, gnat, it ain't working, okay? <clears throat> and I think a part of it is so that, so that Adam would learn this lesson that there's no, no created thing that will fully and finally satisfy. That our ultimate satisfaction is only found in the creator and when we're surrendered to him and we're full of the ruah of God, then the created things can actually lead us to worship. But we're not supposed to worship the created things. And so, in verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman. And brought her to the man. Now, again, he doesn't just speak the woman into existence. But she is fearfully and wonderfully made. She is knit together that God made her on purpose. Now, she is created in the beauty and in the complexity and in the order of the garden. And then the man wakes up in verse 23. And if you'll look at your text, you see how it's indented with some quotes around it? That means it's a song. And you know why the guy's singing? Because he wakes up, I mean, he went to bed with cat, rat, nat, bat, and he wakes up to the naked body of his wife standing before him. And you know what he does? He sings a country song. I'm pretty sure it's a country song. (laughs) And if you don't like country music, you can be wrong, that's fine, but I'm pretty sure this is a country song. And let me just tell you this, so far we've got two recorded times that the man went to sleep, right? Or that the man woke up. And so the first time he wakes up to the face of his creator, and so the second time he wakes up to his naked wife. Listen, women, this is why men like to take naps a lot, okay? Because we just think we're going to wake up to some awesome stuff, all right? I think, pretty sure. So here's what he sings. Then the man said, he really sings, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. The Hebrew word for woman and mine are basically the same word. So again, he's naming animals. And then when he sees his naked wife, he goes, mine. Shotgun. I can have that. That's what he's saying. Like, it's just different. It's just different. And so, here we are. This is creation. There's no sickness. Nobody's got a cold. There's no such thing as cough drops. The Dow Jones never dips. Everything is going exactly right. And God gives the man three things. He gives him work to enjoy, a will to obey, and a woman to love. And he creates this woman to come alongside the man totally equal, absolutely equal, to join in creation and cultivation and covenant relationship. And then then this is the verse. These next two verses describe perfection. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Just think of that for a second. Think of being naked and unashamed. And I know some of you are like, I'm not ashamed to be naked. It's because you're in your 20s. Just give it a couple decades, all right? Time and gravity are not your friend. I understand. I turned 41 over the weekend. I am now fully in my 40s. If I look left and right, 40s are on both sides, okay? I'm there. And there's shame. I mean, there just is. You just get out of the shower and be like, wow, that's not what it used to look like. 
And you find stuff, and you're like, oh, what is this? And then you go, oh, it's got a pair. Okay, Oof, there's one on each side, so I think I'm safe. Don't you? And you wake up in the morning, and you're like, goodness gracious. Gracious goes, what's wrong? What'd you do? Slept? I don't know. Yeah, I need Advil from sleeping now, all right? It's part of the fall. <clears throat> so it's not, it's not just talking about physically, but he, here's the deal. They were fully vulnerable, naked, not just with clothes, but, but fully vulnerable and fully transparent before God and each other. And there was no shame. There was no condemnation. There was nothing to be embarrassed about. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being fully vulnerable and transparent before God? And you've got nothing to be embarrassed about and fully vulnerable and transparent with the people that you love most. And there was no problem. There was nothing to be embarrassed about at all. And this is how God designed this thing to be. He's a good God and he made it, he made it good. And then here's, here's the truth. And it goes really well for one whole page of the book. Yep. By next week or one page, not even a full front and back, Okay. <clears throat> for one page, it's great. And they walk in the garden with God and they spend the mornings with God and they, they have this uninhibited relationship with him and with each other. And then by chapter three, people begin to stiff arm God and say, no, I don't need you. I think I've got a better idea myself. And so, so here's the truth on why are we here? Why in the world did God make us and put us here? Here's the point, <clears throat> that you were created. Now listen, I'm not talking to the person sitting next to you. I am talking to you, okay? Listen to me. No matter how tall you are, short you are, what you did last night or what you're gonna do next week, I'm talking to you that you were created by God, for God, to reflect God by having the spirit of God in you. And that's the most real thing you've heard this week, that you were created, you were not an accident, that you were created by God, that he dreamed you up. You were created by God and for God to reflect God by having the very spirit of God in you. <clears throat> now, does that, does that describe your reality? I mean, is that what you've been thinking walking around all week? Hey, man, I was created by God and for God to reflect God to this world by having the very ruach of God living in me. For some of you that have surrendered your life to Jesus a long time ago, you know that cognitively, but somehow... We're prone to wonder, just like the old hymn says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Even though you know that, that you can, you can take your eyes off of what you were created for and get involved in a bunch of stuff that you weren't meant to, to be involved in. And you need to just be reminded that you were created by God and for God to reflect God by having the Spirit of God in you. But there's a lot of you in the room and if you'd be honest, and I know there's a church, no place for honesty, right? You tell everybody you're fine. Oh, I'm fine. You're fine. Everything's fine. But there's a few of you. There's a small group of you in here. And this morning, you're ready to be real. And if you'd be real, and if you'd be honest about the true you, and again, the fake you's doing just fine, okay? The fake you looks great. See you next week. Keep attending, whatever. But the few of you that are ready to get real about the reality of your existence, that you would say, I... My reality is I feel more like what you were describing Adam as before, like just kind of the shell of a human being. I mean, I've got all the parts. I look like a human, but it's like there's something just missing inside. I mean, 
I've got relationships, and I've got a job, and I drive a car, and I live in a house, and I do stuff, and on the outside, everything looks the same, but when you get right down to it, somewhere deep in here, in the moments where I can be honest about the reality of my soul, something's not right. I am missing something, and let me tell you what you're missing, that just like on the first, second, and third day, God created this space, and on the fourth, fifth, and sixth day, he filled that space. That when he created you, he created this space. And the only thing that could fill that space is the Ruach of God. And that's the only thing that, that, help, that makes you cross over from death to life. It's the only thing that lets you go from just being like the shell of a person who's just existing to actually becoming a child of God and living the life that he created you to live. And here's the problem. <clears throat> and you can see it right here in creation that what a lot of us have decided to do is instead of being filled with the Ruah of God, some of you decided to put, put work in that place. And God gave you work so that you would worship Him, not that you would worship your work. And some of you have chased after that and you've let your job try to define you. And it's why you feel so empty right now. You've either been pursuing something and pursuing something and pursuing something and it just stays out of your grasp and you can't quite get there or even worse, you might be the president of the whole stinking thing and think, this is it? Yeah. And it just feels empty. For some of you, some of you, instead of pursuing work, you, you actually worship the created things of this world instead of the creator. And God gave us the created things of this world to stir worship in us so we would worship Him and say, how good is our God that you would make this stuff for us to enjoy. But instead, some of you have kneeled down and bowed down to the almighty dollar and the shiny things of this world. And that's why you wake up every morning feeling like you're on the, the carousel of normality. You look around and it's a crowded carousel and everybody else is on it. The problem is they're just all empty like you are. You be the one brave enough to hop off? Or are you going to take another lap in the cul-de-sac of stupidity? We've talked about this often, that you're just running around in this cul-de-sac thinking, this is meaningless. Ooh, I know, another lap with a new outfit, and it's going to be just as meaningless. And what happens is you take the things of this world instead of the Spirit of God, and it will not give you life. Some of you have looked for that, that fullness and that satisfaction in a woman or in a man. Now, we were wired for relationship. But women and men make terrible gods, terrible gods. I would be a terrible god. My wife Gretchen, whom I love so much, she would be a terrible god. You'd all be dead. She's kind of moody sometimes, okay? We'd all, man, she's sitting right here. It's true about us all, though. <clears throat> some of us, <clears throat> some of us in, in, instead of filling that space with the Spirit of God, some of us have tried to fill it with good works. Or we stiff-arm God and say, hey, I don't need a relationship with you. I'll just do enough good things to, to impress you. That's what we're going to find out next week. Adam and Eve sin, and the first thing they do as God is pursuing them in the garden, they run and they, they, tie, and they sew fig leaves together to try to cover their shame. And it doesn't work, and it's very uncomfortable. And that's the first religion. When they say, God, we don't need you by our own good works that we will cover our own sin and shame. And though anybody in this room, and you've been living for one of those things, your work or the things of this world or some kind of relationship or, or by being good enough for God, you're like an empty shell of a person. 
And I'm not saying that to try to beat you up. I'm just trying to diagnose with the reality of the condition of your soul because there's good news. Did you know this very day that thing could change? That this very day <coughs> that you could be just like Adam? That this very day that the Ruah of God, the Spirit of God, the breath of God could be breathed into your nostrils and that you could be filled with life that is truly life. The good news about the Bible is it tells us exactly how to be filled with the Ruah of God. Thousands of years later, thousands of years later, <coughs> this guy named the Apostle Paul, who tried to fill up his life with the things of this world and tried to fill up his life with religion, and then one day he came face to face with Jesus and he was filled up with the Spirit of God. He writes these words in Galatians chapter 4. Listen to this. In Galatians 4, beginning in verse 3, he says, In the same way, We also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. In other words, every single one of us, before we were filled with the Spirit of God, that we pursued satisfaction in in some arena of this world, and we all found it lacking. Verse 4, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem those under the law. Every single one of you that has ever used a coupon you understand what it is to redeem, right? You go to your mailbox, you open your mailbox, and there's a coupon. And what did you do to deserve the coupon? Nothing. You didn't call anybody and ask for it. It just showed up on your doorstep. And by grace and mercy and by nothing that you had done to deserve it, you just get this free coupon. And you read the coupon, and it's like, you know, free can of soup from Publix. And you go to Publix, and you walk up to the person there, and you say, I would like to redeem this coupon. And you give them the coupon. And they give you a can of soup, and it cost you nothing. You got a free can of soup, and all you had to do was redeem the coupon. But the reality is, is that it cost the maker of the soup the full price of the can of soup. And that's what Christ did on the cross for you. Yeah, by nothing that you had ever done, you got invited to be redeemed. And all you do is receive it. And that you go to God and say, okay, God, I want to be redeemed. I want to receive the free gift of eternal life. And God says, okay, you're redeemed. The problem is it cost him everything. It cost him the life of his only begotten son who shed his blood on the cross for the redemption of you and me. And that's what it means here. It says, but the fullness of time had come and God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that Whenever the Bible says so that, you got to pay attention. So that we might receive adoption as sons. Not they, not somebody else. But that we might receive adoption as sons. This is such a big deal that God doesn't just want to forgive you. But when he redeems you, he actually brings you into his family. And the reason it says adoption as sons and not just children is because in the first century when that was written, only sons could get the inheritance. So what, what the Bible is saying is that when you are redeemed, when you surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, that all that is the Father's, all that is God's now becomes yours because you're in the family and you're adopted as sons. Verse 6. And because you are sons, now not because you're good, not because you go to church, not because you pray certain prayers, not because you've been on a mission trip, not because of any of those things, but because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son the Ruach of His Son, into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. You know what that means? 
Did you know that that means that if you come to the place in your life where you go, oh no, I think I'm just a shell of a human being and I want to be redeemed. I want to I take what Christ did on the cross for me and make him Lord of my life, not me Lord of my life anymore. Then not only are you redeemed, but you're also adopted and the Ruah of God begins to fill you up so that you can know God Almighty, not just as sovereign Lord, but as heavenly Father, as Abba Father. And it'll take you back to that very moment when the very first person created in the image of God opened his eyes and he was face to face with his creator. The way you get back for that moment that you long for, that you were designed for, that you were created for is you surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. And not only are your sins washed away, but you're adopted. You're adopted into the family of God and you're filled with a ruah, the breath of life. Do you want that? I mean, uh, just personally, individually. Do you want that? That's what's on the table right now. That you, that you could know God. That you could be forgiven, adopted, face-to-face in a personal relationship with the Heavenly Father. Not because of any good thing that you're going to do, but because by His grace and mercy that you'd be redeemed as a son, and as a son, you'd be given the Spirit of God. So some of you that are ready, that today, for the very first time, you're going to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've pursued religion or you've pursued this world or some relationship or you've looked for satisfaction in everything else in this world and you're ready to go from just being the shell of a human to an actual living being that reflects the image of God and you're ready for the ruach, the spirit, the breath of God to fill you up so that you could do what you were created to do, is to know him and to reflect Him. So would you just bow your heads where you are? For those of you that are ready to surrender your life to Christ, to have God Almighty breathe His breath, His breath of life, His Spirit into you, to be forgiven of your sin, and beyond that, to be adopted into His family by what Christ did on the cross, for those of you ready to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, would you surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ? If that's you, just raise your hand where you are. And say, Father, here I am. I want to be redeemed. I just want to receive it, God. I just want to receive it. And those of you with your hand up, you just talk to God. You say whatever words you want. There's not like a magical incantation or some kind of magical prayer. But you just admit that you need him. You believe in the redemption of what Christ did on the cross for you. And you confess Jesus as Lord. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you and we praise you that you stepped out of heaven on the earth. Not only to form us and breathe life into us, but also... Send your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for the redemption of the ones that you love and for your glory. God, I thank you that there's salvation in this place. God, that you continue to cultivate us and love us and that your spirit, God, the Ruah, is in this place right now, filling up men and women that can cross over from just being a shell of a human being into a living creature reflecting you. And God, for the people in this room that have known you for a while, God, they've been Christians for a while, they would say, yes, I'm a disciple of Jesus. God, I pray that you would remind us again that we've been created by you and for you to reflect you by having your spirit live in us. We pray this in the good, strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hey, would you please stand? This is a unique opportunity. You only get this opportunity like once a week that in this moment, you get to come face to face with God in a way that's just different than the rest of your week. 
And one of the ways we do that is by singing, coming face to face with God by singing. One of the ways we do it is coming down to the altar and just experiencing his presence in just a, in just a unique way. One of the ways is, is by when, we, when we, we experience God by bringing our tithes and offerings. If you're a regular, you do that at one of the boxes around here or on your app or whatever. But however it is, I pray that the Ruah of God moves in you so that you respond by crying out, Abba, Father, let us respond.